Welcome to the podcast Consultancy Elite. The podcast is hosted by M2 Advisory and presented by Marleen Somerhardjo. We engage with our lead consultants across the world, discussing business strategies, future solutions, macroeconomic developments, and personal beliefs. Dear everyone, welcome to a new episode of the podcast Consultancy Elite. My special guests today are Paul Childerhoes and Sean Rolls. I've met Paul during a virtual summit and we were connected by algorithm. This is a perfect example how effective algorithms are nowadays, because we connected personally very well and on every level of expertise, knowledge and working area. Paul is an expert in financial risk management and business owner of Mabel P Group in Toronto. Even though we met recently, we already discussed hours on the subject financial risk management related to business and the pandemic, strategies and my five-pillar framework intelligence, a solution regarding these topics. Paul also introduced me to Sean, my second guest. Sean is owner of Closed Circle Console in Stockholm, and we have the same discussions on our favorite subjects, risk management and data management. So today, during this episode, we will have a discussion about risk management, data management and the role of these subjects in the current economy and beyond. Let me introduce and welcome my guests, Paul Childerhoes and Sean Rawls. Thanks, Marlene. Good to be Thank here. you, Marlene. And Sean, nice to see you and hear you. Good to see you on the other side of the pond. Yeah. Thank you. This is a very wonderful conversation because you have it like a global conversation. Paul being in Canada, you being in Stockholm, and I'm based in the Netherlands. So I'm very happy to have you Thank in. You. Well, All right. I also represent Australia, Marlene, since uh, I'm Australian. So uh, living in Europe, so I can put my Australian head on. So we are truly global. So, uh, US, uh, even though Canadians hate it, but then they can represent the uh, US. So there we go. We're all covered. We're covered. North America. America. North I'll, I'll represent the North American continent. Exactly. So, okay, so this is a Europe, Australia, uh, North American uh, episode. Well, welcome. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Oh, all right. Thank you, um, Marlene. You, um, you you hit it off there. I mean, in terms of where you and I met, that was uh, just fortuitous. I, back in early May at a conference of the Enterprise Data Management Council, and the algorithm, as you pointed out, um, matched the two of us in a, in a virtual exhibit hall or meeting room. Um, before, I, before I showed up at, the, um, at that event, um, yeah, what I'm doing, based in Toronto, I do work for the Enterprise Data Management Council, a global industry association, uh, which I'm, I've been involved with since uh, 2007. Um, my background... Largely, uh, it, probably many careers that people have had. I mean, you, you set out and you don't know where you'll end up. I mean, where I am now, I have my own company. But if I go backwards, um, prior to reestablishing or devoting myself full-time to, to my company, uh, Maple Peak Group, I was with Scotiabank, uh, which is a bank, uh, an international bank. But and in the context of that role, I, was, uh, I spent five years initially in risk management, um, working within risk and capital analytics on a Basel program for BCBS 239, the principles for effective risk data aggregation and risk reporting. Um, 
looking after the market risk, counterparty credit risk, stress testing domains. And then the latter half of my five years at Scotia, we're, we're in the enterprise anti-money laundering program. So I think, I mean, for the purposes of our conversation, I would focus on that. The, um, the seven years prior, I was with RBC or Royal Bank of Canada. And uh, when I went in there initially, I, it was to do a, a data management program for the capital markets business. So uh, the driver, the driver in each of those three cases was a response to a regulatory uh, program, or in the case of anti-money laundering, a remediation program. So what I will bring to this conversation is um, experience with two of Canada's largest banks. Um, both of them operate internationally or globally. Um, and I think, yeah, the impetus for all the work, data management, risk management, anti-money laundering, is a response to regulatory compliance obligations where they were uh, offside uh, or it was a net new deliverable. So I'll stop there and I'll, I'll let Sean um, regale us with his experience. <laughs> yes, please, Sean. <laughs> Floor is yours. Yeah, thanks, both. Um, yeah, so like Paul, because uh, I don't um, so I'm the ADM Council Regional Advocate for Europe. So uh, uh, similar to Paul. Uh, background in banking, so I've been working for uh, London banks like Credit Suisse and uh, Deutsche Bank and Merrill Lynch uh, over in London uh, for about four to five years, uh, mainly re regarding risk management and what they call uh, product control, which is basically analysing the books of traders uh, doing fancy uh, products and exotic uh, instruments, which got me into the data, so uh, data management and also data analytics. And then from there, I jumped over the pond to, to the Nordics, uh, where I now live now in Stockholm. So uh, they have been running the data management programs um, like Paul itself. Started off with the, the BCB to BCBS 339, because um, one of the banks I worked for was a GSIB. So uh, created the Global Data Foundation program and then delivered the same program to the second largest bank in the Nordics. Uh, and also on the back of that, sort of uh, introduced knowledge graph. Uh, capabilities um, through both of these banks, which uh, has now led me into heading up the global uh, graph innovation lab with the EDM Council. So I sort of now extend my data management into uh, advanced analytics and graph technology, which both Paul and I are working together with in the innovation lab uh, at the moment towards AML, anti-man and laundering. So both we have the data management as well as the graph um, modern graph analytics, which is what now is being really relevant for cloud data management, as well as um, connecting the ecosystem of data. So uh, I think um, my expertise now is regarding cloud as well as sort of graph, uh, but having that foundation of data management. That's basically, uh, so any of those topics that I think be interesting to talk about since every company is facing a challenge regarding data, cloud technology and also, they're getting curious regarding how do they adopt graph analytics into their uh, capabilities, which is a different, different mind shift to how you work with data in the past. So uh, there you go. You can pick any questions from there, Marlene, between uh, those topics as well as what Paul discussed, we're planning to talk about. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Paul. Um, 
Yes, uh, well, very interesting topics. And uh, I think I would just like to uh, cater it more down to uh, the data management part of point of view, because uh, we three had a discussion and you know that I developed the framework intelligence. And the, the background from that is that I also have my banking experiences, but seeing that um, the banks need to do a pivot around and work more remotely last year during the COVID uh, period, you will see that their risk profile would change now uh, uh, onboard their customer uh, more uh, remotely. So taking that from that perspective, uh, we, all, all, we all worked with the big data. And we know mm. that big data from our point of view is very important. But uh, having this data literacy and also now just you see it more evolving even to data de democracy, uh, just focusing on the data literacy, that is not something that is applicable within every sector. And we know that from uh, the highly regulated sectors that it's needed and needed to adopt and needed to uh, also uh, focus on, on being more agile and being more resilient. But my question to you will be, and uh, just also taking that from a more future point of view, what do you think that data now will impact uh, how would, and how would that limit it, uh, limit it there, um, in, their, um, uh, in their potentials? Yes, I can suppose I can kick uh, that off because that's the question that uh, I get asked a lot in terms of um, as one the urgency of organisations to be. And we hear this all the time with banks data driven, uh, but a lot of them give a lip service, and I think uh, uh, they know that uh, the reason why the CEOs and the big companies uh, are so urgently to trying to transform their whole company to be data driven, because if they don't uh, have data as the sort of the vein through the company, they're basically uh, competing blind in the industry because everything today we do is whether it be AI, machine learning, cloud technology, everything involves data. So if you don't understand data, then essentially your products, your services, your supply chains, uh, the companies, your competitors against you, uh, basically attacking your business model. So like your framework you talked about, Marlene, uh, every framework uh, essentially these days involves data, but also how to understand, manage, uh, and to analyze your data, not to store it in the cloud or put it as a sandbox and machine learning, you've got to actually utilize it and understand it towards uh, your advantage to understand what's happening around you as well as where your competitors are and your customers. So it's the whole ecosystem of data uh, and uh, to use it intelligently. And that's, uh, that is quite complex given that we have so much more data today than we ever have in the past with you know, everything we do, transmit data, stores data, gives data. So data points are everywhere, but it's how to manage that and how to capture it and how to analyze it which is the challenge. Yes, I, I also think that focusing on the pillar from the, on this point of view, it's just my focus here is how to be profitable, but that is data, how data is always been traditionally being, being worked with. But it's, it's like you mentioned, you need to understand the data, you need to understand what is happening within the world with the data and then apply that to be more profitable and to be more uh, sustainable with your future solutions. So Paul, what is your opinion about that? I would, um, yeah, the term data literacy is an interesting one. I mean, financial literacy is another one, right? So you often see these terms cropping up. Um, I'm not sure who coins the term data literacy, if that's um, Tableau or you know, some other vendor, right? Because my concern is, um, 
you know, the opposite of literate is illiterate, right? So you, you, it, it automatically, for me, when I hear that, it implies that people are, it, it's a sensitive topic. I mean, we're fortunate we can all read, but I mean, when I look at something like data literacy, and if I think about the, the millions of people that have had jobs in, in across industries, and they're data analysts or data management practitioners or data stewards, data custodians, data architect, data, 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 data scientists. So I would kind of ask, wouldn't it be a shame if we hired a bunch of PhDs as data scientists to work at the bank, but they were data illiterate, right? Because it's an interesting question in that data literacy, who, who implies that someone is literate or not literate? So I think what the target audience, to be honest, in my personal opinion, would be that it's for the board of directors, it's for the senior management in an organization who are more focused to your point, they're focused on financial performance, they're focused on revenue, sales, risk management, and then you throw at them and say, you know, you hire a, a person as the chief data officer, right? We, we have a chief information officer, chief analytics officer, chief risk officer, chief technology officer. It's all kinds of chiefs. But I think that this concept of data literacy is a bit of a fallacy in my view, because I, I find that it, it's, it's generating a lot in terms of uh, consulting and training and tools and all that stuff. But at the, at the end of the day, the data practitioners, the people that are working with the data themselves, like doing an analytic analysis and analytics and cleaning data and scrubbing data and preparing it, they know. I think the literacy is something that we should target more at executives. It's probably something that belongs in the office of the CDO. The chief data officer could put together a PowerPoint and sit amongst the C-suite and say, you're paying a thousand people in this organization. We're spending 40 million a year on resources in my org chart. You know, I've got 300 people in the office of the CDO. They know what they're doing. But in a federated model, maybe the people in the business don't always understand. So when we're talking about literacy, we can get into the metadata and we can get into taxonomies and we can get into data lineage and provenance and all these fancy terms. But in a for-profit organization, the question I used to always get asked when I worked at Royal Bank, and I had a team of a dozen or more people doing data quality for capital markets, the senior vice president would walk through the floor every day and say, is the quality of data getting any better today, Paul? What have you done lately? Like, what, what's, what are the people doing to improve the quality of data? So, you know, I think it's a bit of a veneer if we say data literacy, because it's, it's really trying to, I would say what's more valuable to me is when we look at trying to establish that what is the return on investment relative to the people that are performing activities around data management or data governance, data stewardship. And then you could throw in all the technology from all the vendors, you could throw in the third party data that you license. And if you're gonna put data on the balance sheet of an organization and treat it as an asset, then these senior executives, they need to be literate and they need to understand that you're spending 100 million a year on people processes and third-party data and cleaning data and scrubbing data. Maybe you want to monetize that data or maybe you want to push that data, you know, it's your customer data. 
So I don't know. I, I didn't really answer your question. Maybe I did. But I just I, I chuckle when I hear these terms because I, I think like, yeah, data literacy. I used to be I wasn't a data architect. My father is an architect. He actually studied architecture. So he laughed. He says, oh, oh, what's a data architect? I don't know, dad, I'm a data steward. I'm a data custodian. These are funny terms. That's an interesting point here that you're mentioning. And I hear three uh, elements that I would like to take out of this. First one is um, monetizing your data. I think it's a very important one. I, I think, really think that data is the next currency and it's the next or then the second element that you mentioned is uh, how can we uh, put data as assets on our uh, balance sheet? Very important topic, I think. So you mentioned here um, having uh, working with the, the C-suite working with this. Uh, to me, I find it very interesting. Uh, you need to approach this from a more comprehensive overview. And that is all what I advocate about. It's just not thinking within your silence, but just then working together and see how you can integrate and how you can optimize from that point of view. So those are very good elements that you brought into the discussion, Paul. And just um, I just um, do you also see that uh, the same, Sean, especially on the data mon monetizing the data here? I think that is the most uh, important topic that we need to discuss. Yeah, I think uh, to go a step further, like uh, to think about it, uh, there's a there's a slide which I show in some of my uh, my client pictures in terms of like where does data end up in terms of like because uh, people a lot of companies uh, especially banks. They make up, they mix up data and information, and they're not, they're not the same thing. And you look at the data flow, uh, the data life cycle. The data becomes uh, information, information becomes knowledge, knowledge becomes uh, like you know the machine learning. So it's more about how do you actually consume data to the end point in terms of creating business value. And that's where it's sort of like you know how do you transfer data to become information and particularly knowledge that you're going to drive insights from or make decisions regarding your strategies, your services, your products, your channels, uh, you know, which market should you go into? So it's fact-based and that's where data, the reason why it's like the new oil over this, but because everything can be verified factual by data, but it's not just having data which companies think, oh, look, I've got a massive uh, cloud environment on Google Cloud, I've got all this data. It's not until that data becomes information and they analyze it you know, via smart analytics that they actually have smart data, uh, which is smart informational knowledge that provides, you know, dashboard insights that uh, can help the company drive the strategies and, and insights. So I think to monetize the data is about, as you said, getting the C-suite to be involved, but it's them to make decisions based upon data rather than so many banks today, uh, particularly, you know, they're still governed by like uh, their Excel spreadsheet or their gut feel, or this is how I've been, do been doing in the past. So it will always work, but the data is will show otherwise in terms of customers, you know, aren't, buying products over the phone, they're buying off apps, they're buying off websites. Uh, and, you know, ad, AdWords or uh, Instagram ads uh, are engaging uh, the audience. So unless you have data of understanding what is happening in your different segments and how you're you responding to that in terms of your service or products, then you're not using data to be uh, smart in a way in terms of driving your strategies and where you want to be going forward when everything, especially technology, is happening so fast. So... Data is, a, is a, like a path and a trail in terms of what's happened and where you need to go, but how you act upon it in terms of whole organization, in terms of structuring yourself and utilizing technology in a smart way, then data becomes smart. Otherwise, it just becomes, uh, you know, we've heard about data lakes becoming data swamps. 
and I don't know what the data lake uh, data cloud is going to be if uh, if all the data sits in the cloud being not utilized to be a, a sum and name to call it that. But end of the day, it's about tornado. Was yeah. it going to be a tornado, a windstorm, or a hurricane? At, uh, the hurricane right. of uh, like what's what's what just hit me? That's all this stuff. But uh, I think it's the important thing in this way. I think it goes back to your framework, Marlene. That different parts of the organization need to understand what is happening and have it based upon data and um, to get everybody to see the same message. And Paul and I talk about this in, uh, you know, in data management uh, is, you know, having a common language. It comes down to, you know, uh, you know, apples mean apples and bananas mean bananas, but data, you talk about the same thing because today the biggest challenge, and this is where the BCB 239 talks about, is that if you talk about different things, how are you going to make the same decisions uh, across the organization if you refer to the same thing with different labels? So again, you're going to be smart with data in terms of uh, having the, all, the whole organization uh, be on board and understanding it, not just literacy, but utilizing it in technology. Um, otherwise, you have this, yeah, these silos that there's no cloud that's going to save you. Even with the Google behind you, you've got to ingest it yourself and work with it as a change management exercise to work with data, data management, but also... Uh, smart decisions. That's a very good point. It's just add actually something else and we're just saying this is you mentioned we need to uh, uh, not approach this from the silo, uh, just have a more comprehensive overview. That means that data is not being seen as information, which everyone actually think that data is, mm -hmm. uh, but then take it to a next level. Uh, people will talk about seeing more data as well. We have financial data, which is sufficient. Yeah. Uh, and how do we separate financial data from other data? I think I would like to oppose here saying, well, I think financial data is backward looking. If you're using your data, utilizing mm -hmm. your data, it's your forward looking approach. Uh, hopefully you, uh, and Paul, what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I would agree. I was thinking from a, from a risk management perspective and what we learned with BCBS 239, it, it was, it really was a reflection of the inability of, of um, not only the individual banks and the individual uh, boards of directors to make decisions in a timely manner, but also from a supervisory standpoint. So if we look at it, um, you know, let, let me just say, step back from all of this uh, corporate job and say, okay, I'm a, I'm a taxpayer, I'm a citizen of a country. And, you know, I'm grateful that here in Canada, um, you know, the banks were well capitalized and the prudential regulator uh, has continued to take a, a very balanced, moderate approach. So there were no bailouts. We didn't have a TARP program in Canada like they did in the U.S. And if I was a U.S. citizen, you know, that had been har harmed and lost my business or livelihood or investments as a result of, you know, the rogue dealings, the, the moral crisis that, that existed, the be then all of a sudden it became a credit crisis or whatever they want to call it. I think the part of it is, is that if we step back and look at uh, this industry, uh, for-profit banking, financial services, and then if you look at it and say, okay, from a supervisory standpoint, if I'm either a local, uh, a jurisdictional supervisor like OSFI in Canada, or if it, you know, if it's, it's a US or European regulator, the ability like from an, uh, the harmonization Okay, so the, the ways in which we can harmonize terms of reference, terms that are specific to a balance sheet for, you know, liquidity of a company, uh, terms relative to credit, terms relative to stress testing, 
you know, what we're looking at now is if we look at something like um, uh, ESG investing and we think about, you know, all the marketing that's going on, greenwashing around all these funds and all these products that are being presented to people and being said, oh, you know, this is a green fund, right? I find it quite interesting because there is no standard by which funds like there, there's plenty of stuff that Morningstar or S&P or any of the rating agencies will come up with. But if I'm a regulator and I'm looking at this and saying, okay, the impact of climate risk on finance is going to be, you know, we just lived through a pandemic, right? But nobody's looking at climate change like that. We're not walking around with masks on and we're not looking for vaccinations to climate change. But when I look at what's happening, and I think if we can't figure it out, like all of these great government bodies, cross-jurisdictional organizations, Basel, et cetera, they need to start to look at data as it's related to something like ESG. Because if you look at the entire the ecosystem, not only the physical, but if you look from a data perspective too, it's really, really challenging. So I think the only way that we can really do this is if it comes in from external forces, because again, it is for profit and you have to think about from a, a taxpayer perspective and you have to look at it in that context and say, okay, I think the regulators need to come together, start to harmonize standards for data. When you standardize, what are the key data elements or critical data elements required for something like money laundering? or reporting of financial suspicious, unusual activities. You need to come up with a catalog, a standard catalog and say, these are the 500 most critical inputs, data points that are gonna go into these models that are gonna produce these risk metrics that are gonna go on this report to the board. And then the board or the senior management will have an obligation to submit these into a financial oversight committee. And if you deconstruct it or decouple it and you look backwards, right into the bowels of an organization. I think that's the way it has to happen. Like often you can come at a problem from many angles, right? But far too often I see people wasting time, companies wasting time and people's money and giving them monotonous jobs to do. And they're starting there looking at this atomic set of data elements in a spreadsheet and there's no frigging context, right? So they're like, oh, what are the most critical data elements from the customer domain? Well, uh, I don't know, the name, the address, the unique ID. Okay, but it's all relative to the context in which you're operating. But if you're going to report on your exposure to a counterparty, isn't it important that you have a uniform standard for how you're going to address the parent, the ultimate parent and all that? So I think, again, the question that you're asking is here, which, you know, you can come at it from the left, the right, Regula regulatory, financial institution, I think it has to come from outside forces to force the change. And I think that, you know, there should be, they collect money, you know, from these financial institutions. And I think they should collect more money from them, take it away uh, from the compensation that goes to the executive management and start to penalize people. You know, they should be because, you know, if you fail to adequately disclose, materially disclose issues or, you know, in the case of DFS 504 in the U.S., 15th of April, every year, every regulated entity in New York State needs to disclose to the DFS any material limitations within their BSA OFAC program. And if they fail to do that, 
the board and the senior management can be personally held liable. I like that idea. But I think to uh, just to bring that to our subject now, is, is there, are there data literacy? How's the, how are governments? Uh... They're not. I'll let Sean answer. I don't want to take up his time, but I, 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 let me just say this. So in my role with the EDM Council, I work within both the public and private sector organizations. I'll tell you one thing, though, that the public sector is much, 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 much more transparent and open about what they know and what they don't know. Mm -hmm. The problem we have in financial services is that there's a lot of people that think they know a lot, but in actual fact, they know a little. Yeah, yeah. When you're working with government and they're doing digital transformation, data strategy across different, whether it's health or finance or you know, Statistics Canada, they will know where they have limitations. So right now, and Sean will have the same experience, I'm sure in Canada, I'm working with the, with the regulator, I'm working with Department of Defense, Canadian Armed Forces. And some of the first things they say to me as the chief data and analytics officer is he says, we need to work to enhance the level of literacy amongst the public service. You know, there's 140,000 civilians, both in service, uh, you know, working in service and also working within uh, the department. And so he's very concerned as the chief data and analytics officer with a team of about 400. But when you have 140,000 people, right? It, 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 you know, Marlene, you have a lot of books behind you. Have you read them all? They look impressive, right? Like you have to look at people and say, what makes someone literate? They learn how to read. But just because you have books doesn't make you smart. Yeah. You have to read the books. Uh, like uh, go back to banking, especially when they say we can uh, talk from experience here, being, uh, being amongst transformations. When all these, uh, like think about, you know, the 08 crisis and then the BCB 239 to try and address it. Uh, so many banks that have been involved with, uh, say, they, they employ thousands and thousands of consultants and pay them a fortune to solve the problem. But they don't take accountability themselves in terms of changing the organisation to understand the root cause. They'll say, okay, let's get a McKinsey or a Accenture. Hey guys, how do we fix this problem? Here's all the money, go fix it. As opposed to, as Paul was saying, like government, at least are honest saying, hey, we need to fix this in, uh, internally and we need to take the change management and take the buy-in uh, to train up our people and to face issues. But the banks, they cover it up and that's where they're now like not working for them. Um, and, you, and you see like how much money these banks waste on consultants just to give them PowerPoints and to say, hey, show, just show the regulators that we're doing something about it. We don't really care if you uh, fix it, but just uh, we need to show evidence. And to say, is that, is that data literacy? Is that data like is that a data management transformation? It's not. It's a slip service to uh, the things. And that's where for, for the industry, and not just governments, but also for banks, a big part of, uh, of today's world, and, other, and to show others around the ecosystem, every company needs to take accountability and to show that they need to improve how they work with data. Uh, themselves rather than try to take the lazy approach of throwing money at consultants who themselves, some of them don't even understand how to do it. But uh, their logo, because I think it's my KPMG or Accenture, gives them authority to say to the board, we're going to cover your back. Uh, so whatever we say, uh, you'll be safe. And that type of excuse uh, doesn't really fly because, you know, you're just putting a bandit over the, over the issue that rather than fixing it. So even though, uh, like myself and Paul, we're both consultants on the other side of the EDM Council, at least we're working to educate and to help companies manage their data and to train people in the organisation, not do it for them. And I think that's where 
uh, not just governments, but any company, I really recommend that they get help if they don't understand and put their hand up. I don't get this, but then get trained up and then train the transformation across the organization so you all go on it together. It's a, it's a change journey and there's no quick fixes. There's no magic wand and there's no magic uh, checkbook to solve the issue. So again, it's, it's looking at things at a different angle and I always say to clients, that data management is as much of a change journey and culture as it is the technical and the technology behind it. So, and that's where most companies miss in terms of the change journey. So um, that's my that's my input into it as well as that, uh, yeah, we need to put pressure on uh, the big banks and the other companies that sort of uh, don't track it seriously because they they lie about, yeah, we're, we're data driven. Look at, look at our consultants. But uh, the people inside them, they have no idea how to work with data or technology. And they're the ones looking after a lot of the money between companies and customers uh, and the things that goes around the world. So we need to have uh, a bit more accountability and honesty across the, uh, the data world. I love this. Just you know, I built actually the rationale behind the framework thinking is that it's not a it's it's the comprehensive approach. It's the accountability. It's working together. It's also yeah. and I think that is the most important to mention here is to focus on your customer experiences because that yeah. our banks are just like really not fully aware how to utilize that to uh, to the fullest. Let me just put it like that. Um, yeah. You will probably mention it at a really nice uh, point of view. But I think just having focuses from the governments are more uh, transparent about this. That means yeah. that they, that is data that is related to people, that's related to your GDPR, that is related to privacy, that is related to uh, all the elements that you can, uh, that you need to protect your customer and you need to protect mm. your uh, your citizens is uh, the focus need to shift within that and this is hearing you saying this uh, so uh, that we are on the same page from that point of view um is there anything that you want to mention paul because i know that you have only five minutes to spend i hope um i hope that for your audience um they've found something um worthwhile than listening to me. I mean, I've enjoyed listening to Sean and your questions are good ones, Marlene. Um, um, ba, 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 ba. I guess my one, let, let me I preface it by saying, if I go back to the framework that you've built, right? And if I look at um, what you shared with me a couple of months back, um, you know, I think that the framework that you've built based on your experience over the years and in various capacities has enabled you to create a framework that for me, it, the first time I looked at it, and I, you know, this is probably two months back, uh, mid-May, um, which is only a month ago, actually. Um, no, it resonated with me as someone who had been in two large banks. I've been in consulting. Um, I've been in data management, risk management, all these different jobs. Um, I look back, you know, I, I fondly on that career. Um, I think for me, I've sort of, I'm pivoting in such a way that yes, I support and I work with the Enterprise Data Management Council. Um, I work, my, my focus now is uh, in working with smaller uh, emerging technology companies that are starting up. Um, some of them are designing and developing products for the financial services industry. Some of them are designing them across, uh, they're agnostic to industry. 
maybe there are data, data intelligence platforms, data governance, data quality. There's still that aspect of it. But I think when I look at your, back to your work and, and what you've developed in the framework, the part that uh, stands out for me is, is that just the notion that rather than getting buried in the weeds and talking uh, ad nauseum about data points and you know cells and rows and columns and databases and all that, I think the alignment between business objectives and strategic goals is, is really what always has to be at the forefront. So in the, whether, whether it's a business or whether it's a, a government agency or whether it's academia um, or your startup, your founder, you know, your global corporation, it, it always has to come back to that standard question. Why do you do what you do? Yeah. Why, why are you doing this? Um, and, you know, it's a good question to ask yourself because you may be operating in a large corporation and you probably ask yourself every night, why do you do that? Um, maybe you need the paycheck or you haven't figured out what you want to do elsewhere. But I think what you've created here is like, if I look at the different components of the framework, the intelligent framework, regulations, business, data management, technology, technology, IT, that thing is the business objective. What is the objective of being in business? The answer is simple to serve the customer. So you have to come at it from that context. So whatever you do in whatever industry, whether you're an independent or you work for a big company, the only reason you exist is to serve a customer. So that's what I think you have to always think about. And, you know, the, the things that we've covered on this call were interesting. They're not earth shattering. Uh, but I think that would be my one takeaway is that for anyone listening, um, just really ask yourself introspectively, think about what you're, you know, think about your thoughts and then say, yeah, why do I do this? Well, you should do it because there's customers that are waiting on your service or they're looking to buy your product. And in the case of the innovators, the people that are building things for tomorrow, the people don't even know they need yet. Those are the ones that I gravitate towards because I find the people that are out there looking to solve the problems that very few people have tackled because they've just become accustomed to using whatever is available, right? So those are the ones that I have the time for, and that's where I invest my time is in meeting people like that. So it was great to meet you, um, Marlene, a couple of a couple, well, a month and a half ago to see what you're building. You know, I, I continue to believe in what you've got here, and to the extent that I hopefully I haven't hindered your ability to, to, uh, to, to sell this or work with your clients through, through my participation here today. But, um, you know, it would be my ask or my wish that we can continue to work together in some capacity. And the same with Sean. I know Sean has his own business. Um, and Sean and I are working, as he's already alluded to, on the Open Knowledge Graph Lab, um, which is exciting for me. I'm, I'm not an expert in that by, by, by any, 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 any stretch. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning from Sean. So I'll, I'll close there. Um, but thank you, Marlene, for inviting me to, to join your part, podcast today. And Sean, good to see you. You too. Thank you, Paul. Exactly. And I suppose uh, just to add on that, uh, Marlene, I think uh, the, the reason why the three of us are together for um, uh, thanks, Paul, uh, on the podcast and how we've talked, you know, uh, through various phone calls, uh, before then is this collaboration and I think that's well collaboration and community and that's what's going to drive the acceleration of uh, data management maturity in not just organizations but people 
and I've, I've been part of a lot of communities, uh, whether it be business architecture and uh, and data. But unless you're open to collaborate and like we're doing and a network to share ideas and to share, like I say, solutions, it's like I do in my lane with this you know, with your new framework and connect with like-minded people, uh, your rate of change and rate of improvement is going to be very, very slow. So that's where I think also one of the big highlights from this podcast is that like the three of us connecting uh, through, uh, you know, me and myself, knowing Paul and how I got introduced to you and then that's the framework and, and everything connects, is that the people to be open to connect in a community to, and to be part of something that is uh, like, like-minded regarding whether it be data technology and to share ideas and to absorb knowledge because nobody succeeds alone. Uh, and the more you give out, the more you're going to get back. So don't just consume and just don't give anything back. You've got to contribute and collaborate. Uh, and the people who do that the most are the best ones who succeed. So uh, that's, I think, a good message for your podcast to uh, listeners to, to collaborate and innovate. I love that. I think they will really uh, resonate with that. The like-mindedness is uh, very important in this one. Uh, we've seen also that people are more collaborating. Actually, market and marketplaces, we also discussed it in previous calls, the marketplaces are changing and moving and gravitating more towards working collaborations. And from that point of view, because I have oh, I have two sets in mind, one for the highly regulated uh, industry and also one for the, the normal one or the, the sectors that have been impacted quite heavily during the uh, COVID with actually just focusing on the human capital part in this because the focus is human capital. We need to thrive, we need to excel, we need to uh, collaborate, otherwise we will not uh, survive and we will not be sustainable. So it's a very uh, legit point that you mentioned here. And the cross-pollination is, I think, very important uh, from every level, especially with technology now nowadays. You have technology. So that is just inevitable. You need to work with each other and work from various and different disciplines together. And uh, there you take out your cohesion and there you can thrive and take it to a next level of efficiency because the level of efficiency is being baseline. So taking that to a next level, you need to cross-pollinate, you need to rethink and also regroup and work together. Yeah, exactly. And I think just, uh, just, you know, we've reflected about the immediate impact of COVID in terms of like, look at quickly, uh, say like the vaccinations and I suppose uh, uh, the tracking of how, you know, when it blew up to like, it's quite fast given the extent of how fast it spreads. But the reasons why uh, sort of the vaccination program has gone so quickly across organizations and how different countries have uh, tracked where it's spreading and to mitigate it is through data and sharing data in terms of, you know, uh, where is it spreading? Who's got it? Where did it come from? And then with, you know, with the with the vaccine, all the tests, all the results, uh, open universities and uh, companies sharing that data in terms of what's working, what's not working for the greater good. I think that's where... I know on the, on the EDM Council, we like to have this motto, like, you know, data for good. So it's basically helping different organisations uh, share data and work with data for good causes, whether it be like for, you know, disease prevention and med- uh, management, climate change and ESG, uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, or like anti-money laundering that we're doing today in the lab with Google and Microsoft and uh, various other banks. So I think that's where I think looking at, the more you can share, not just the data, but sharing how you're using the data, the better the solutions and again, the business value that we talk about and community value are going to be. So uh, 
there's no there's no secrets regarding my solution better than yours. It's about okay, you've learned something, share that pattern or share that uh, that approach with data, rather than having this in the past this competitive advantage that oh I can't share it because it'll be copied. So again, like like today, being open and also sharing your experience so others can use learn from that to uh, to advance forward rather than um, you know. And just in, like in companies, I see them make the same mistakes through the data journey. And this is where I share a lot of it on my, in my LinkedIn post or I want to do presentations of this is a common path. You need to be data, data driven or how to enable AI and machine learning. And it's no secret. It's out there uh, that I publish and, and I ask all the questions. So rather than say, oh, no, the, if you want to find out about it, you must come to my consulting company. That's, that's not how it should be. It should be like, here it is, but I'll help you train to do it. But the approach is out there to be read. And that's where I think your framework is great too, that people should collaborate and also be part of it because it helps you improve it and uh, to help it be adopted in a wider place, but for others to also learn how to improve in different parts of that framework in their own organization to improve it and like a, like a spider web grow and grow. Yeah, I love how you uh, you summarized it. The five pillars around it, just to have your fun, having your fundamentals and working on your house, actually. It's just yeah. building, it's working with people, it's having your assets in place, your human assets, and, and, and enhancing your and enriching your data to be uh, resilient and to uh, to, to yeah. work future solutions. So thank you, John. Yeah. I just uh, really love our conversation. We'll talk to you soon. Excellent. It's been great. Thanks, Marlene. It's, uh, and thanks for, like I say, providing the, uh, this for listeners. I think uh, they're going to get a lot out of the, this from uh, not just the uh, the framework, but also what we're sharing. I think uh, the more podcasts you do, uh, the people encourage uh, to listen as well as uh, to spread the word so we all uh, can share more open knowledge and also improve uh, not just with data, but uh, in new ventures like yourself. So uh, great work, Marlene. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to the podcast Consultancy Elite. For information, follow us at m2advisory.nl and Instagram at m2advisory. Send us an email or DM for further assistance.